Welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, a mini-series of anecdotes and interviews tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. On today's interview, where I ask juicy questions to people that move me, I asked Rebecca Laharl to join us. Rebecca is the founder of Bohemia Tea and Tonics, tea blends like none other I've ever encountered, with an ethos and sensibility which, to me, interlocks a love for the land with elegant aesthetics and the senses. Just divine. <laughs> but uh, before we get into much more, I have a request. Would you please gift us with an introduction in your own words? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My name is Rebecca. I am was born and raised in Auckland, but split my time between Littleton and Auckland growing up. So I consider myself by island <laughs> <laughs> I am a lover of tea, plants, folk medicine, music, animals, nature, and silliness. <laughs> um, I spend my days being a mother to my daughter, Huya. Mm keeping house, mm. <laughs> keeping the vibe. Mm. <laughs> I run Bohemia as an integral part of that. So my tea studio is in my house. Mm. And so I've got this kind of fluid parenting, blending, uh, I call it inspiring, where I'm constantly brainstorming and coming up with ideas for Bohemia. And then the rest of the time, I'm snuggling with my dog, Alfie, <laughs> speaking Ooh. our own language <laughs> without words. <laughs> Who has been really chill since we've been hanging out. Mm. But if there is um, a sounding, it is Alfie and we will embrace that mm -hmm. moment if yeah. it comes. Contributing to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, he has a voice. He's passed out in the yeah, sun he's right now. So. Passed out. <laughs> <laughs> There's peace in a sleeping dog. Oh, he's beautiful. He knows, he reads the room and goes, This is what's required of me. I'll nap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for that introduction and that kind of um, scene setting that you did. That was delicious. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by a good origin story. Mm. And the ones that bring seemingly disparate things together are my favorite. So might we know more about how the city of Hiroshima and post-war cleanup efforts mm. connect uh, to you to you and your tea company? Sure. So my grandfather joined J-Force when he was a teenager. <clears throat> he was not able to participate in World War II because he was too young, but he lied about his age in order to qualify for J-Force. <laughs> and, you know, because that sense of duty and helping out was in him. Mm. Uh, and J-Force were then posted to Hiroshima to start the cleanup. And he went over there. And while he was there, he completely connected to the culture of Japan and really connected to the people, maybe in a way that most people at the time wouldn't have. Mm. And he bought back books and items like silks with Japanese magazine and newspaper headlines printed on them. Like Whoa. I have some of them. I was gifted them from my grandma. Uh, and uh, a love of tea proper tea so he was introduced to drinking tea buds when he was in japan yeah and so when he eventually met my grandma and married her and set up home she was a real tea bags in the teapot woman mm -hmm. and he was like oh that's rubbish he would just pop <laughs> sneak tea buds into the teapot and i recently learned that he had access to all kinds of exotic cupboard items from working in the port at Littleton he would kind of barter with people on ships oh my god and so there would be exotic spices and like really flamboyant things in the cupboard as opposed to my grandma who was very much like a side of bread and butter with everything and like a really British traditional diet he bought the flavor <laughs> so <laughs> I feel, while I feel very connected to both my grandma and my granddad, I feel like I've inherited his um, need for something else, something mm. more 
something more exotic even, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from their kitchen is where I find my origin of connecting to tea. Mm. Yeah. Family gatherings, a pot constantly on the go, drinking the tea while looking out at the view of the Littleton Harbour. It's a very specific, beautiful harbour. Mm. I mean, yeah. I could look at it all day, every day. We used to fly there late at night because that's where when it was cheaper to fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just have these memories of being carried into my grandparents' house as a small child, like pretending to be asleep. But as soon as we were in the house, I would run to the glass windows that looked out over the harbour and press my face up. And all the lights on the water from the port. I played this game. I couldn't tell whether it was a reflection or whether they were things that were going down into the water because of the shape of the lights on the water. Like my brain was like, it could be magical beans mm-hmm. going down into the sea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just this ritual I had. So the nighttime lights on the water have always remained this really special thing to me. Yeah. <sighs> Gorgeous. <laughs> Gorgeous, gorgeous. And here you are with this offering that encompasses your love of the exotic flavors Mm. and tastes from around the world, but also a real deep respect for sustainability Mm. and, you know, less less harm Mm. than needs to be done to both plants and, and the waste industry. Absolutely. So when I was forming Bohemia into more of a business with a capital B you mm-hmm. know in the beginning it was very much tea tastings and talks and community outreach and connecting with people and it moved more towards a product-based business you're faced with all these decisions and challenges around how you do business because you go oh this one option is cheaper but this other option is kinder to people and the planet um which drives up a product cost a lot of the time. But I very much from the beginning knew I wanted to do things right Mm. and on my own terms. And if it was something that connected to people, if the product was good enough, if it had a use in people's lives, but it costs that little bit more because of compostable plant-based packaging (laughs) and packaging that was printed and made in New Zealand rather than offshore and shipped over here. Oh, yeah. That's a significant choice. That's how I'm going to do it. And it will either thrive or maybe not, but it seems to be thriving so far. People seem to connect to those. so shall it continue. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 Worldwide audience. Yes. (laughs) Recently landed in the US, which I'm very excited about. I've been told that I need to sort of sing that from the hilltops a bit more, (laughs) but I got my first stockist in the US. And the the tea seems to be connecting with people over there, which is very exciting for me. Okay, let's go yeah. there. So mm. clearly I'm American, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I can totally validate this theory for you. But um, of, of a particular bent, I am obsessed with color mm. and aesthetics. And the very first thing that made like the the connection for me with you and and your brand and your, and your teas was, was some phenomenal colors. And uh, especially the one that for me is the, the lapis tonic, Mm. Uh, this deep azure tea blue for you Mm -hmm. non-color geeks out there. Hell, I I see this picture in my mind of this lapis tonic and what I think is a 1920s champagne glass. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just fell over in love. I had no idea you could do that. I mean, what, how, (laughs) why? (laughs) So I felt this need to share tea with people in a way where it's, it's not just a dusty tea bag and a crusty mug that's intended for coffee, which is what I kept experiencing here in New Zealand. And I know that the tea culture and experience here has grown somewhat Mm. since I first started out but tea can be iced tea it can be a tea syrup it can be infused with sparkling water to make some amazing crazy cool chilled 
beverage that you have instead of alcohol. I'm this year 15 years sober, so tea has played an integral part for me in making it fun to drink things. Yes, still. learning learning how <laughs> learning how to celebrate with tea. Yes, and so I and I'm a diehard thrifter, so I love going into op shops and vintage shops and finding vessels. So oh yeah, I was super inspired by the really lovely low wide sort of a French champagne glass. Mm-hmm. And so I would make cold brew tea or a tea syrup and, and then add that to sparkling water and drink it out of a champagne glass. Yeah. And it just reminded me to celebrate and have fun. And I don't know, it just brings, it activates something in you when you're drinking out of a champagne glass. Indeed. But I'm relying on the the silliness and the fun to come from within, not from actually what's in the glass. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more the the um, I guess the association and the the act of it. Yeah, if that makes any sense. And you're also creating a sense of surprise and delight with the blue. Mm-hmm. I mean, you forget that nature can create that tone, and not many plants infuse the color that they actually are like in terms of in the blue realm. Right. So like blue cornflower petals do not make a blue infusion. No, they look fantastic in a bath. They look gorgeous, but they don't provide you with blue pigment. Gotcha. And a tea and butterfly pea flower is unique in its ability to transfer these gorgeous pigments into your glass or cup or teapot. Why do you know why it's called butterfly pea? flower because to me that it's always like a tension that I have mm. when I say like this is butterfly pea flower we're like is that like the pea of butterflies <laughs> that's funny but it's pea <laughs> like the like the like, like the plant yeah so when you look at the flower it looks like a sweet pea flower a little bit mm. just a little bit that's one of the only associations oh I love I've sweet made. peas the only other thing I've heard it referred to as in Thailand, they drink butterfly pea flower with lemongrass, which is one of the ingredients in the lapis tonic. I wanted to keep it traditional. They call it anchan. That's the only other word I've heard referring to butterfly pea flower. Anchan. Yeah. Enchanting tea, (laughs) darling. (laughs) Mm. As I take some sipping um, experiences in the middle of this interview because how could you not have tea while mm. you're interviewing a tea lady <laughs> um, it goes hand in hand yeah there's so there's beauty just interwoven throughout this whole practice for you mm-hmm. so what is beauty to you oh beauty honestly to me is nature mm. like there's nothing more beautiful to me than nature whether that be the grass growing out on my lawn there, the yellow leaves falling off my peach tree because it's autumn, the absolute perfection that is a flower. Mm. I know I'm like, I'm hearing myself talk and I sound like a 60s I'm here for stoner, it. But yeah, give me the Bob Ross truly, vibes. Truly, I just, it never gets old for me. And I'm happiest if I'm interacting with plants and nature, you know, and birds are another one for me. Like I will often just sit outside here and watch what the birds are doing. I could, it's better than TV for me. Yeah. And that reminds me of the inherent beauty in us because we are connected to nature and we have our own nature that I feel we need to be reminded of because I feel like some of our instincts and human nature has been hijacked by a lot of things mm-hmm. that disconnect us from a natural rhythm yes and the tea practice if that's what we would call it is such a great way to just remove the dross Mm. clear the hijacking and you've just got hot water steam plants color and your breath and your sense of smell and taste and sight Mm. (laughs) and hopefully sharing with another human Aha. On top of that. Indeed. So one of the things that, you know, you'll probably hear more from me in the coming months is the, in regards to Bohemia, is to be shared. Yes. Like, yes, it's it's wonderful to have a moment with yourself, mm-hmm. to connect with yourself and to have that really simple uh, 
quiet experience. But there's nothing quite like sharing tea with another person. You know, it fosters beautiful conversation. It tends to allow people to settle their nervous system. So they're going to be communicating with that other person or people in a more natural way. Maybe they'll say things they wouldn't have said mm-hmm. if they weren't so relaxed. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, sharing tea with people is another one of my favorite things to do. Mm. Just sit around and talk and is enjoy a particular flavor or combination of flavors to you that when you talked about pulling something out that somebody wouldn't normally say, mm. what's the what's the tonic combination Ooh. for you for that? Anything with lemon balm in it. Ah. Lemon balm is such a beautiful herb. Like Some herbs take a while to have an effect. You need to drink them on a regular basis to see their benefit or effect. I find lemon balm is straight away. I'm overwhelmed if I'm frazzled, if I'm not kind of in my heart. Lemon balm just takes me straight there. Mm. Instant, the the aroma, the taste, and whatever effect it has in my body, it's, it's instant. But the tea plant itself would have to be my winner in regards to that. It's, it's such a beautiful plant, and it's got the perfect combination to kind of, you know, that invigoration yet calming you down at the same time Mm -hmm. so you can feel more alert you can feel more clear-headed but you've got that you know you have a good softening yeah an exhale Mm. so the tea plant for me has always fostered conversation like a and a better communication with people I mean that's as I said earlier being in my grandparents house drinking constant pots of tea with my family and just being together and talking. Oh, yeah. You know, the the tea plant really captures that for me and enhances it and recreates it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Caffeine and L-theanine together. It's a magic combination. Aha. What's L-theanine? L-theanine is an amino acid present in the tea plant. You can buy it isolated in supplement form. People take it for anxiety and mental clarity and various reasons. But, um, you know, that pharmaceutical model almost where you, you isolate, isolate something and, and increase, you know, it's a higher dose than what you would get in nature. But, and someone avoiding caffeine might want that. Mm-hmm. But I love it. And it's beautiful, perfect form, mm. and a nice juicy tea leaf. <laughs> Do you get much into the botanic geekery when you are you're going for your inspiration or going for your next mm. thing the that comes later in the track for me mm. later down the track should I say I almost feel like a tea blend inspiration is on the breeze and it's about to blow past me and I lick my finger and put my finger up and I'll catch it you know like when someone's checking the weather I can feel a blend coming there's a need there's like an energetic something coming that I need to translate into a tea blend. So that comes first. Or I will, I've got stacks of herbal books, which I like to peruse, and I'll, I'll stumble across a herb that will just, like the light goes on, and I'll go, oh, I need to do something with this herb, and then it will flow from there. And what I need to do with that herb might be clarified by a friend calling me up the next day and going, oh, my gosh, I'm struggling with this emotional, mental, physical thing, whatever it may be. And I'll go, oh, there's my next part of the puzzle. Yeah. And then it goes from there. Yes. Or it's something within me or my daughter. Yeah. You know, my daughter struggles with episodic migraines. So I'm constantly researching, not just herbal, but pharmaceutical as well. I'm, I'm deep in the migraine world, trying to find ways to help shepherd her through living with regular migraines. How can I support her with gentle plants? Beautiful. You know, where it's not something that's going to knock her out. It's not this strong pharmaceutical product. It's something she could have every day that's safe. Mm -hmm. It's gentle and will have an effect over time to hopefully help her find physical balance. So, yes, there there is some botanical geekery that comes (laughs) into it, but it tends to be a bit further. You know, are these plants, are they tonic and are they safe? Mm-hmm. Or are they more pharma, you know, towards the pharmaceutical medicinal end where you have to start talking about warning? Yes, 
how much to have. Yeah. Okay. So I tend to not because I'm not a qualified herbalist or naturopath, but I am a plant lady. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a relationship with plants. I have an ability to translate, you know, a need into a tea. Yep. And so I like to do that safely. So I work with very, you know, garden variety. You know, can you grow it in your garden and is it safe plant? Yeah. But then I cross-check everything. I've got lots of herbalist naturopath friends. I love to chat with them about things. So I always run them by my herbalist naturopaths. And I do a bit of online double-checking as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. What other tones do you enjoy working with besides the azure tones? Mm. I love anything that's golden. Oh. That reminds me of the sun. Mm. The sort of amber golden tones, like bringing warmth. I always find I need, I don't like it when things are too, aside from this gorgeous blue beauty, if things are too cool or silvery, like if the light is a bit gray, Mm -hmm. then I'll want to drink a tea that's really warm looking. Yep. Combats that. Yeah. Balance. Golden looking things really, you know. I do know. I like Mm. that. I really like your ruby tones as well that you work with. Empress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that name alone. Yep. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, a few years ago, I had quite long rambling names for my teas, very literal names, like alluding to what ingredients were in them. Mm-hmm. And then I, I realized that each blend had a personality, had a, like a vibe, had a, something that needed to be translated mm-hmm. that, yeah, I wanted to give them single word names to simplify it and to really capture the energies of each blend. And so hibiscus rose petal <laughs> became empress. Nice. Because that's absolutely the energy of that tea. It's, yep. it's beautifying, it's clarifying, it's nourishing, it's got such a strong feminine essence to it, but in a almost aggressive way <laughs> like in like a powerful empress Hell yeah not a flower lovely flower petal wasn't quite doing it for me no she's got yeah. some base yeah mm. so yeah I went through each tea and I spent time with them and came up with these you know blue velvet <laughs> became lapis tonic it really made me think of that the power of the lapis lazuli yep. stone yep the cooling yet fortifying feeling you get when you encounter a lapis stone mm. was what I get from this tea. So, yeah. What a cool evolution. Mm. Um, I'm really fascinated by mental health mm-hmm. and the exploration of how our past experiences or even collective presence impacts our nervous systems. Mm-hmm. As we tend to our issues, we're hopefully working towards feeling safer in our bodies, finding soft moments of calm, paying deeper attention, feeling more connected. And if we imagine the life of a tea maker, your life, Mm. how does your practice bring you better mental health? Wow. Well, it it would be, other than bathing on a regular basis, (laughs) the most important mental health practice for me. So... Mm. When I decided to put down the wine bottle 15 years ago, it unveiled to me that I had some pretty serious mental health issues. And I could see that one of the only reasons I was drinking was to feel, or to not feel, should I say, Mm -hmm. to not feel, but also to feel there's a weird numbing bubble Mm -hmm. that I was getting from alcohol which I'd been drinking since I was a teenager. So I didn't know what life was like. I didn't know how I felt without it. Mm. And I had I'd lost my grandfather. He died. And my partner and I had broken up two weeks earlier. So I was deeply rattled, deeply shaken. Yeah. And I just looked at a glass of wine one day and I went, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to get through this if I'm having you. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped. What an incredible moment for you. It was I'm so lucky that it happened so early. I was 
25. Wow. Yeah, I was 25 at the time. All my friends loved to go out drinking. It was sort of like the basis of, uh, of my social life. You know, let's meet for a drink after work was yeah. sort of, you know, what you did. And suddenly I was not going out anymore because all anyone wanted to do was meet for a drink. I was working in a tea house at the time. Oh. And my boss was amazing. And the young lady I worked with, she was studying to be a naturopath. My boss was a naturopath. Oh, my gosh. And this friend, Melody, she became a very close friend of mine, like cradled me through the process of suddenly feeling vulnerable to the whole world. I didn't have this buffer. Yeah. And so I was drinking tea, like making concoctions. We had this wall of tins of every herb and tea you could imagine. So I was sort of surrounded by tea and these lovely, beautiful wahine and... Yeah, the tea literally swaddled me as I cocooned in my apartment after work every day. You know, I sort of hid away and had to learn to reintegrate into society. And during that process, I was taking the starkest look at myself Mm. and realizing that I was deeply wounded. I was a nine-year-old girl who didn't feel safe in the world Mm. and had never learned to put up healthy boundaries between her and other human beings yeah and other power you know power structures in our world and I slowly but surely fed my nervous system and literally became like a butterfly Mm. (laughs) after this I suddenly was like I'm laughing I'm really funny like I crack myself up (laughs) I'm actually by nature a really silly person, but I hadn't connected to that part of myself because I was just a numb wino. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying that everyone who drinks is that, but this is what it was for me. I wasn't drinking wine because this tastes so lovely. Mm, Yeah. What these beautiful flavor notes. It was just a crutch. Yeah. Yeah. And I was not an alcoholic at all. I was just problem drinking to exist really. Yeah. And so tea became a practice for me and allowed me to reintegrate into the world and it still took a while for me to actually be diagnosed with PTSD why is that i just because i was high functioning ah. you know everything my tendencies my fears my phobias were quirks right i was very much high functioning and it took giving birth to my beautiful daughter and being a sleep deprived new parent Mm -hmm. for it to, for the beast to really come out. Right. And, you know, not only are you suddenly a parent, the center of your universe has shifted because it's really not, it's no longer about you. It's truly about another being. I was, and gone from living in the city where I'd lived for years, being surrounded by anything and everything you could possibly need, including people, to moving into a house in Teatatu Peninsula where I'd never even been before. It seemed like the most further away, furthest away place possible. Actually a 15-minute drive on the motorway. Really not that big but, of a deal. But when you're here, but when you're, you're like, here, not having people around that you know, yeah. people to just stop by other than the grandmothers. I was alone all, all day mm-hmm. with this baby. Mm-hmm. And I was woken up five, six, eight times a night and I was broken. And the because I still had this nine-year-old girl who needs to be looked after operating within me, she didn't feel safe. She didn't, I guess she was like knocking on the door going, hey, (laughs) we've got some stuff to deal with. And I think she was doing it so that I could be ready to be the best parent that I could be. Absolutely. Yeah. And I lost the plot. I started getting suicidal thoughts because I was so scared of just the world in general that I wasn't going out with my beautiful baby out into the world and doing things. And I started going, oh, this is not good enough for her. She deserves a parent who is going to give her experiences and be going out there, and which is silly for me to think. But that's just where my sleep-deprived trauma brain was going. And I realized that that was not okay and I reached out I found the phobic trust clinic in St. Luke's Mm. I'm like see me see me now please Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
and they they were pretty good awesome but the the therapy side of things wasn't cutting it for me I had a conversation they assess you to see if you need medication with a doctor right and that doctor was like you don't need medication he's like I could give you medication but I can see that you just need an outlet oh wow scream into a pillow go for a run mm-hmm. like get it out of you mm-hmm. and you'll be fine oh snap <laughs> and it was that conversation that showed me that instead of keeping it all inside right <laughs> I needed to kind of more because I'm quite a gentle person yeah that's a silly gentle person um I hadn't connected to my anger yeah I hadn't connected to this sort of strength and power inside of me I didn't know it was there and so I started running mm. and through running I activated a strength while simultaneously running out the crazy that was in my head because <laughs> that's what like if you if it's just spinning around in there it goes toxic yeah okay but if you have you scream into a pillow. If you stomp around, if you for some people it might be dancing, like it's just get it out of you yes. in a way that is natural to you. Yes. And running was that for me. It really made me feel so strong. I could run for out I could just run forever. Like I didn't realize how fit I could be. <laughs> <laughs> and that I know I've deviated from tea, but that tea really be- was the beginning of it for me yes and was there for me as I was going through all these phases of discovering more of who I actually am oh I love that yeah yeah so it it's like tea will hold your hand Mm -hmm. through whatever you're it's not like a cure-all it's not the silver bullet it's not gonna be everything for everyone but Mm -hmm. it will hold your hand yep it will help you it will ease it will minimize it will help to usher you through. Yeah. Which is beautiful. That is beautiful. Mm. Oh, no, that was, I, I resonate so much with what you said, especially around what the potential of motherhood or parenting can offer you, but also the inherent rawness that it brings with it. Mm. I wonder how else does motherhood intersect with you and running your business? Ooh, that's a good, a juicy question. So there are two things about running this business for me and motherhood. The first is, and you might need to remind me that I said two things. (laughs) The first is (laughs) I need to be here for my daughter. Mm -hmm. I can't be doing a job where I need to put her in any kind of care or have someone else look after her. Firstly, because she gets migraines. And secondly, because I don't want to. I want to spend as much time with her as possible. I have one child and, you know, I'm going to enjoy her while she actually wants to hang out with me and hold my hand. Hmm. But my my partner works in film, so he's often traveling. He's often working funny hours. And that requires me to be just be around when I need to be here. Mm-hmm. And being my own boss and doing my own thing allows me to parent the way I want to parent. And I know that that is so privileged, you know, that we can craft our family life in this way Mm. to do that. I was working in a library. I did have a job where I had to show up and be there a specific time. And I was the person who opened the library first thing in the morning. So it was kind of crucial that I was there on time. (laughs) And my partner got a job where he had to travel and work crazy hours for eight weeks my daughter was only two or three at the time, I think, probably three. And there was two hours in the morning where she was unaccounted for if I went to work. Yeah. And I asked to change my shift or eight weeks leave without pay and that was denied. So I went, well, I'm not going to not be here for my daughter for two hours in the morning. Like, And so I resigned. Wow. And that was the last time I worked for someone else. Mm. It was just in order to have flexibility, quality of life, take parenting as part of my job, really. We actually decided that I could finish my tea master qualification. You know, once I'd resigned, it was like, why don't you just go all in? Mm. Finish your studies, see what you want to do with that. And then just, you know, we'll go from there. And so in a way, like, thank you, library people for not being flexible because it allowed me to actually 
tap into my magic and be entrepreneurial and, you know, create bohemia. Yeah. So voila. do I remember what the second point was? I mean, there's definitely running my business allows me to be a migraine nurse, mm-hmm. which, you know, even scheduling the time to talk to you, I find it really hard to plan ahead. I find it hard to set regular time schedule oriented things because I never know when I'm going to get called from the school yep. to go, you need to come and pick up your daughter. Yep. So I I prefer, like the idea of working an office job or working a job where I have to be at certain, you know, be there at certain times mm-hmm. and also have to deal with the wrath of employers who don't always understand that when you're a parent, <laughs> the well-being of your child really comes first. And I've heard so many people talk to me about their jobs and how hard it is to straddle home life, parenting and working. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've heard this quote, like the the work world requires you to work like you're not a parent, mm. but the parenting world requires you to parent like you don't have another job. Mm. And that really, that really resonated with me where there's just this pressure. There's kind of too much work either side when you're doing both. Mm-hmm. You know, the juggle is real. The juggle is real. <laughs> and so Bohemia to me is also an opportunity to try and get that juggle right. You know, I fucking love this because part of what inspires me as a patron, Mm. (laughs) you know, I might be a customer, but I like patron better, is that I get to choose who I am supporting and what I am supporting by doing so. So Mm. when I am choosing to go to an event run by women, I know that I'm contributing to them being able to continue doing what works best for them and the quality of their life. Mm. Not saying that that's not the same case for men, but I mean, Mm. we are talking about motherhood here. Yeah. The fact that I am able to choose what to consume, whether it's art, tea, food, restaurants, like the fact that what's coupled with your personal experience is someone else's gain. Mm. I fucking love that now that I know <laughs> when I purchase your teas, I am also contributing to you being exactly the kind of mother that you want to be. Mm. Fuck. Well, that's hearing it put that way, <laughs> bringing a tear to my eye. Because <laughs> it's really like, I, I use the term love letter a lot at the moment. You know, like mm. my I've, I've written on my website somewhere, I think it's still there, that my tea range is a love letter to all of us. You know, each blend was created for wanting people to have pleasure and ease and comfort and moment. Because, you know, tea equals moments, you know, beautiful moments for people. And actually now thinking about it, that my tea business is a love letter to my daughter so that I can (laughs) be there with her and for her as It's it's really nice. (laughs) I've remembered what the second, actual second thing was. Yes. Here we go. It is, you know, surfing back to, you know, having PTSD Mm -hmm. means that I'm never entirely sure when I'm going to crumble, Mm. you know, have have a time where I just need to be in bed for a couple of days, which does strike me from time to time. When my daughter turned nine, you know, that of course sprung up the nine-year-old trauma for me you know that's the time Uh, in my life where uh. my trauma originates from and I had a complete nervous breakdown you know can't get out of bed uncontrollable weeping (laughs) and that was new for me yeah and and I've had you know with the pandemic and all these you know the world being just a little bit crazy at the moment you know I've had times where I've I've crumbled. Mm -hmm. And if you have an employer, you have to explain. Yes. And you have to explain over and over again. And there's usually... This inconvenient human Mm. reaction to being alive and all my past lives experiences is super inconvenient to Mm -hmm. your expectations of productivity. And you often have to go through... You know, I've seen people go through ACC to get support. Yep. And you often have to go through these various bodies to have legitimate... Um, 
checks and balances which your employer will then check in on to make sure that you're not just skiving off to watch Netflix at home. Um, And so I'm actually able to work from bed if I need to or have bed days or go and seek help, go and have, you know, therapy or Reiki or whatever it is I need because in that moment I have to do that. There's no other option. Yep. It's sinking, you know, and these things will stop me from sinking. I can't imagine having to drive in to another part of the city, to an office every day and have those structures that don't often care mm-hmm. that you're a human being with these issues. I feel mm-hmm. like it's getting better. I, I feel like so. because people are talking about it more now. Yep. But my employment history. Another era. Was another era. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand. I'm like, hey, Rebecca, is it okay if we just uh, grab this blanket and go and hop into bed for a couple of hours? Sounds really good, Sure, Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very liberating. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I also have to work on that part of my personality that can go, hey, get up. You've got this. You're strong. You know, instead of, oh, no, we'll just stay in bed for a while longer. I also need to foster that part of myself that can, you know, get myself up again. Yeah. Yeah. Including all the tasks that are waiting for me. <laughs> bohemia wise yeah there's another question that I had in my mind around tea especially when you named your tea empress Mm. the kind of the part of me that geeks out with archetypes Mm -hmm. and um, where we sit as the feminine Mm. and the goddess inside of us Mm. how how does connecting to the goddess factor into your life? Oh, fundamental. Mm. Fundamental. And when we were speaking previously about me slipping into, we had a chat a little bit earlier, about I slip into toast and tea, Mm -hmm. a habit where I just have toast and a cup of tea and then that's all I eat. It's just very comforting, not particularly nourishing. That's the beginning of the goddess slipping from Mm. within me. Oh, wow. Because I'm not nourishing myself. I'm having convenience. I'm not really like sitting down to savor. Uh, It's like I become like grace, you know, gray on the gray scale or something. I'm trying to find a color reference. Yeah, I've I've lost my colors. Yes. Color does kind of bleed Mm. out of your life when you're in that numbing out stage. Absolutely. So, Or they're not as vibrant. And when I feel... Like I'm invoking that goddess energy, there's strength mm. and there's softness, mm. both together. Oh, yes. And I'm not too far either way. I'm perfectly in balance between those two things. Nice. So, and nature, going back to nature being the utter expression of beauty for me, connecting to nature is the quickest way to remind me of that goddess energy. Mm-hmm. You know, it changes the way I move my body, mm-hmm. changes the way I walk. You know, I'll probably not wear shoes when I'm feeling more goddessy because, you know, there's something about feet for me. Like when my yes. feet feel soft and free, yeah. then the, everything flows better for me in my body. So, and preferably barefoot on the grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So connecting to goddess energy or, you know, firing that up and keeping that moving in my body and in my life is fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, and when I let that slip, I literally feel like a piece of toast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Dry toast. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than a gorgeous, perfect flower mm. and the sunshine, which mm. is what I aim to feel like. Yeah. And that's another thing. I think like feminine energy really gets taken advantage of. Agreed. You know, it's very easy for me to do everything for everyone. And then I'm dry toast. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel gorgeous and juicy. I feel tired and shrivelly. Yeah. And so making sure that I am showing up and going, no child slash partner, you're going to cook dinner tonight. You're going to chuck a load of washing on. You're going to you're going to do something that is easing the burden on me, the mental, physical burden actually being and that's the strength part of the goddess yes is going is not being worried that that seems annoying or moany or you know you're just being an annoying femme 
because it's not. Mm-mm. It's it's going. I'm cultivating and maintaining my energy, which means that you need to show up for me. You know, it's reciprocal. So that's my latest learning. You know, excellent. And I think I'm on that journey with you totally. Mm. Yep. And it feels so good it does. to turn around and not care. <laughs> in, the, in the past, I would have gone, oh, how did that go down? Does that make me less attractive to my partner? Does that make my daughter not like me anymore? <laughs> no. Like that's that's teaching her that, you know, she's hopefully crossing fingers, going to have children one day, and then she'll remember, and then she'll do that too. Yeah. Yep. Mama needs a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mama needs a 5.30 p.m. bath. <laughs> And y'all will cook dinner. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you just got so Southern American on me just then. I love that. I do slip into a y'all sometimes. Bring it. Mm. Because let me tell you, <laughs> the sass involved in a Southern accent is mm. so delicious because yeah. it's not aggressive sass. Mm. It's that playful, defiant energy. Mm. With a bit of cheekiness. Tongue in it. cheek. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Eudora Welty that said, um, I'd bite, I turned, I would turn the other cheek, but my tongue is constantly lodged in the other. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. (laughs) I might have ruined that quote, but you get the gist. I totally get the gist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I am going to check on time. Yes. Okay. I thought so. I thought so. We're nearing the approaching the endish mm-hmm. bit of our chat, and I sense that I'll have more things that I wanted to discuss. You, I might have mm. you back on, darling. Okay. We'll do a part two. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever itch we did not scratch mm-hmm. um, for y'all, there's gonna be more. Uh, but I do have a few questions that mm-hmm. I enjoy asking um, for my own delight. And my first one. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Given the option of being able to travel to outer space Mm -hmm. and visit extraterrestrial life Mm -hmm. or the gift of flight here on Earth, what would you choose? Outer space, no question. Snap! Outer space. I've often thought, because my daughter regularly says, I wish I could fly, and I think that would be a disaster. Can you imagine humans being able to fly? Like what an absolute chaotic mess it would be in the sky (laughs) I've had dreams of being able to fly Mm -hmm. and I've never really enjoyed them oh so I imagine soaring would be would feel quite amazing yes however I on a every night if I can see them I look at the stars and I just ponder Mm. and I wish Mm. and I hope outer space extraterrestrial life I'm I'm here for it you know I just think it would be that's where my mind goes. I'm always like, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Flying is very Hollywood movie to me. Outer space is just blow my mind open, please. Yep. You know, what other kinds of commun- communication could there be? What other kinds of plant life or any other kind of life form? Just, yeah, I'm, I'm like, what else is there? That's yes. the setting my brain is often at. Shall, um, I, shall I share a vision mm-hmm. of, uh, that I had once? Please do. So I went to another solar system. I'm sure of it. It was an incredibly visceral experience. Mm-hmm. And the upon arrival of this other planet, I landed underwater. And I know I was underwater because I looked up and I could see the surface of the water and the um, light source, the sun coming down Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay cool okay another planet i was sure of it i was absolutely sure of it and i looked around and (laughs) this plant this underwater seaweed like plant appeared in front of me and it was bulbous like a succulent but it was and it was kind of glowing green but not green Mm. and it was completely translucent and it had red veins inside of it. No. And in, so you could only see this kind of like meniscus skin bubble containment. Mm. And it also was like a fractal because it had like nodes equaling 
like symmetrical nodes, really fat at the bottom, getting decreasingly small, kind of like a fern leaf does, but they were like bulbousy, juicy fat nodes. Wow. And I swear I've been trying to draw that thing since that happened. It's like I can see it. I can see it in my mind's eye. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. I met an alien plant. Claim to fame. So I'll just I'll add one more kind of out there-ish thing. I have this weird thing that happens to me. If I get, if I'm asleep mm-hmm. and I get woken re- like by a loud noise or something happening and mm-hmm. I sit up and I open my eyes, I see these shapes around me, almost like they're floating in mm-hmm. the air. Mm-hmm. And they kind of look like, you know, those things on the beach, like the like a tumbleweed on the beach. Yes. So it's spiky. Yes. S- circular shaped. But they're either black or red. And I see them clearly, but the longer that I look at them and the more I suddenly wake up, they just fade away and disappear. (gasps) And sometimes there's just one. Sometimes there's lots of them. And I have no idea whether that's just some strange brain, something to do with sleep between the sleep and wake state. Yeah. But I just see them around me and it happens all the time. Yeah. And someone said to me once, oh, it's aliens visiting you. (laughs) "Mm, How did that feel? How did that land for you? I mean, that didn't really land. Okay. But the, and it's only happened since living here in this house. Oh, cool. I don't want to freak myself out. But yeah, and I've mentioned it to my partner Mm. and he woke me up. He came home late one night and I sat up in bed and I'm like, I'm looking directly at one of those things, Ollie. (laughs) Do they feel plantish? They do feel plantish. Just to connect to your thing, they do feel plant-like. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's great. The most – They sound great. The most extreme one was they were just – there were hundreds of them all Ooh. around me. And then the sometimes there's just one. Do you know what I'm suddenly getting? I am getting like a very Princess Mononoke forest, those little, those little creatures, those little spirits of the forest with the little they're, – they're like human, but they're not mm. – and they're kind of like mollusky plants, but I, I'm a huge studio. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? Yeah. Studio, oh, I don't I'm know. a huge Let's studio just... Ghibli fan. Yep. Like Ponyo, Howl's Moving Castle. I have not seen Princess Mononoke. <gasps> what? I'm going to watch it tonight. Thank what? you for that. <laughs> what? 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 Princess Mononoke. Oh. oh. And I'll look out for the forest spirits. Because you You're know, there's there's, there's, the, there's the soot spirits, or the you know the ones from oh, yes. um, my neighbor Totoro. Yeah, spirited away. They're in spirited away as well. Oh my gosh, maybe I've been Studio Ghibli'd mm-hmm. and my psyche. <laughs> With the, I feel like we're all just sharing the same damn dream sometimes. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Nice. That and was just my first question. That just circles back to outer space, though. So maybe I'm having. Correct. I'm ha- maybe outer space is visiting me. And my sleep state. Yeah. So there we go. I love that. (laughs) All right. Second question. Within the pandemic time, my mother started reading Discovery Magazine again. Mm -hmm. And she came across an article that talked to learning another language, making you a better person. So I want to know what word in another language for you holds deep resonance or import (gasps) or a phrase or a word. Okay, so... Not in English. I love languages. I've always loved learning them. And I learned for a year and a half Italian at university Mm. because I was training to be an opera singer back in the day. And I was like, Italian's going to be helpful for me because I'm going to go to Italy and sing over there and live there and everything. And my Italian teacher at university, she was Gabriella. She was so beautiful. And... Like between moving from one thing to the next, one subject to the next, she would say, allora. (laughs) Which in a very boring English translation kind of means, well then, yeah, on to the next thing. But it's just so feminine and sassy and beautiful. And in my head, I'm often just going, allora. (laughs) It's so good. I just love Italian. Yeah, there's... I feel like you can't really translate it fully with English, but it feels like the way women say it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a hair flick. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, you know, if I'm doing some kind of seemingly banal domestic task, 
I'll walk around the corner and just in my head I'm going, Allora. <laughs> so great. You try it. Try it out. Allora. See how, see how it feels. Um, can I add another one? Yeah. This is because this just cracks me up, this story. Shortly before falling pregnant with my beautiful baby, Huya, uh, my partner and I traveled to Chile. Mm. Our friends were getting married over there and we decided to go for a whole month, you know, go to the wedding, but then, you know, flit around with no plan. Oh, uh, I was working in the, the library at the time and they had a Chilean section. So I thought, oh, before I go, I'm just going to go and check out the, the poets and the, the writers. And I got really into Pablo Neruda. Oh, Neruda, yeah, of that, course. And he wrote about Valparaiso, the, the city, a port town, bigger but not dissimilar to Littleton, the port town where my whanau are from. And he talked about Valparaiso being this beautiful woman who's like been up all night making love but needs a bath, you know, like I'm paraphrasing, oh. but that's the essence of it. Yes. And I said to my partner, when we arrive, we are getting on a bus and we're going to Valparaiso. And we did. Oh. And it, I fell in love with it. All the buildings were old and beautiful, but kind of, you know, kind of, it was so true. I felt like they all need a bit of a water blast. You know? <laughs> she needs a bath, but so beautiful. And we had the most magical time, but we hadn't planned where we were going to stay. Mm -hmm. And we'd been on a flight. I hadn't slept for a very long time. I don't sleep on planes. We had backpacks on. We were walking around in the heat Trying to find somewhere that was close to one of the only vegetarian eateries in the entire city because I'm a vegetarian. And we were so tired. I think I was crying. Oh, I know those and feelings. we found this place that had Elvis pictures and memorabilia all in the windows. Interesting. And I was like, this is the place. Yes. Knocked on the door and a young lady answered. And she luckily spoke a bit of English. They had like one room. And she was like, yep, you can come and stay here tonight. But the owner does not speak English. Mm. Uh, and I met the owner and she just looked at me and she's like, Linda, <gasps> Linda, Linda. Beautiful. And, but to me, I'm like, she thinks my name's Linda. <laughs> <laughs> no. And she said it the next day. She grabs my hand. She's like, Linda, Linda. And she kept stroking my hair. I'm like, okay, I can be Linda for you. That's fine. <laughs> And then it wasn't until a couple of weeks into the trip, we were down in Pukon in the south. And uh, one of the ladies we were staying with, she looked at my bracelet and she went, oh, que lindo. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds similar to Linda. I'm like, oh, masculine, feminine. So she's yep. referring to my bracelet and the yep. masculine. And I'm like, what does that mean? And she's like, oh, it sort of means cute. Like, I really like it. It's so gorgeous or cute. I'm like, oh, she was calling me gorgeous and cute. Yep. But I was in a real Kiwi accent in my head going, Linda. <laughs> but, you know, that, that word then took on quite a lot of meaning for me. I love it. Linda. I also love how it, like, the um, adding of extra, like, ita and ismo mm. and, like, all of that, like, adds extra um yes. things. Yes. I wonder. Is there, can you say lindissimo? I wonder. Or Linda, like, um, Lindita. Lindita, probably. I, I feel like that feels more yeah, accurate. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. such, like, Italian and Spanish are very similar to me, and I love both of them. Like, once we'd been there a month, I was chatting with people in very basic Spanish after not really knowing much nice. and doing a lot of talking, like communicating with our hands. Yes. They just had the uh, the earth like a massive earthquake in mm. Chile three weeks before we went, so people were very. They had a lot of stories to tell, and they right. would assume that we could speak Spanish, of course, and would just talk at us with their hands. And I interestingly could tell what they were saying. It was really oh my god, quite amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, your skills. <laughs> Delicious. Thank, Thank you. you. As we approach the end of this episode, mm. I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to voice gratitude and perhaps you'd like to join me mm. Mm. is there any gratitude that you would like to voice mm. gosh gratitude for mama earth mm. thank you for supporting us through these strange times mm. thank you to you mm. <laughs> for having this conversation with me 
I would like to express gratitude for the Indigenous people of New Zealand for sharing the land with us. Although it's still a struggle, isn't it? Yep. Land back, please. Land back. <laughs> and gratitude for the dreamers, mm. the courageous minds that dare to go, what else is there? They don't just take things as they seem. Yeah. That's phenomenal. That's, that's my gratitude. I love it. <laughs> I also have so much gratitude for Earth mm. and the inspirational elements that are centered in an elemental Earth, but also nourishing us mm. to wellness. And yeah. I wanted to thank Bjorn uh, for engineering and doing post-production. I wouldn't sound half as delicious without him. <laughs> Hi, Bjorn. <laughs> thank you. And yes, thank you, Rebecca, for this time. This chat has been wonderful. And thank you to the listeners out there joining us and engaging and playing. So, yeah, that's it. Kakite anoa ho, Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs>